Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to an amazing, very special episode of Outside the Studio. My name is Tessa. I am your host. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so happy you are here. Um, in particular today to join me in welcoming Jovanka Ciaris. She's the author of Reclaiming Wellness. It is a beautiful book. I will show it to you in just a moment if for those of you that are watching online. Um, and she's also a certified wellness expert, an integrative herbalist, a nutrition educator, a coach. She offers lectures and workshops in Spanish and English. Ciara studied nutrition with best-selling author T. Colin Campbell, PhD, at his Center for Nutrition Studies, which is in partnership with Cornell University, um, which included studying herbalism, plant medicine, with, um, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this, Tiarona, how do you say that? Tiarona. Tiarona, mm -hmm. low dog, MD, a native of Puerto Rico. She lives in Los Angeles. Oh, LA, I love LA. So welcome to the show, Jovanka. How are you today? Thank you. I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And congrats on the book. Uh, it came out April 19th, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yes. 2022. Good date. I'm going to hold up this beautiful book, Reclaiming Wellness. And so what's really cool, I find this to be so unique because it's like there's so many different modalities of healing and it's really mm -hmm. far beyond what you would get in, um, I guess what I would say a traditional wellness book would mean. And what jumped out to me right away, Javanka, was um, there's a section on um, music and community in, in healing which put me right back into childhood. Just a really quick little background story on me. I grew up in a family that was always dancing. There was always music. My dad made drums for a period of time. And um, we even had a sweat lodge in our backyard. We had this um, spirituality practice of having an altar and um, having drum circles and so there was always music, there was always dancing, and both of my parents were pretty musical. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, that, that was a form of healing for us. Mm -hmm. And I never really considered it that way. So here I am, almost 40, realizing that my family was using this practice of healing back when I was a little one, and we needed it. And it was so grounding and it was so joyful and those are the best memories I have of my childhood and that that that's something that I come back to over and over again as an adult to settle my nervous system and to feel like I can be in my body in a safe way in a joyous way um, so I'd, I'd love to jump off there can you tell me about this and and how it wound its way into your book and and what it means to you sure um, well first of all thank you for having me yeah. Uh, secondly, I'd love to meet your father. Oh, yeah, he's a great <laughs> he guy. Sounds like a super cool guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, like you, I had a very musical family. My grandfather was the only music teacher at some point in my little town of Canovanas, Puerto Rico, um, and he was the one. That, you know, like we would sit together in in the balcony while my grandfather will be in the garage or in his little room teaching students over it was a roster of students coming through for an entire day mm. um and you know people have my my mother still has one of the most beautiful singing voices i've ever heard uh and music was my first love so i studied music in college i played several instruments i was a singer at some point so when you learn about music and the power of music, you really delve deep into how healing, how more than healing is just, it allows our, our animal parts mm -hmm. to emote, right? To, to connect with an emotion. And, it, and I say animal parts because it's not just humans, mm -hmm. right? We know that animals like your, your pet cats and dogs will react really to, to music or to certain sounds. And, uh, but even before, like beyond that, you don't have to be an expert, a musical expert or, or have a degree to understand that music has the ability to move us mm -hmm. and move us in all kinds of different directions. Now we know that is an incredibly powerful tool for healing, mm -hmm. healing trauma, healing uh, relationships, 
um, et cetera, healing, healing from a physical ailment. So to me, it was a very natural thing to include. It is also included in the same chapter as community. And, and people ask me this question all the time. And it is because we can, in fact, enjoy music on our own. But even when we are alone, we're really not alone, right? We are there with the people that recorded that piece, that, that played those instruments, that created the songs or the, the pieces that are moving us. And certainly when we come together socially to enjoy music, that's when it becomes really a powerful tool, right? Mm, yeah. Absolutely. I think of it as the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about a dance floor and the way that music, at least in, in my body, helps me, um, like I said, get grounded and settle and feel like my body is a safe space. It is a joyous space. And and then it's almost like everything else doesn't matter. The rest of the world kind of floats away. And um, I personally, I've read stories about this um, in certain traditions where dancing is a medicine that it's like there's a ritual of dance that will last all night. Um, I think there's certain um, Native American myths where it's like coyote danced um, and until the dawn and he coyote's character maybe who's kind of like wily and a little bit mischievous and he, there's some sort of medicine in that for for this character so i wonder if you have any stories or experiences along those lines that speak to medicine as healing and helping us mm-hmm. move through something mm-hmm. some emotion like i know it can take us in so many different directions yeah you know what you said is a great equalizer is a really powerful statement because it is very true you walk into a club it's the easiest way to see that is walking into a concert is a little bit less obvious but if you walk into say a um, like a club, like a young 25 and up club. Mm-hmm. And you see people of all shapes, all colors, all potentially all nationalities enjoying this one piece of music and not worrying, not caring about any problems they left behind, what they looked like, the problems of society, their socioeconomic background. Mm-hmm. None of that is important. In this moment, we are bonding. We are human. We are allowing our bodies to do whatever it needs to do to to heal or to enjoy or to bond or to you know feel joy mm-hmm. uh, I, I you know when I was a lot younger and I was clubbing a lot more we <laughs> were you know we we had all kinds of fun stories of of people that we met through the dance floor that otherwise we wouldn't have anything in common with or seemingly nothing in common with. Mm-hmm. When I lived in New York, I used to go to salsa clubs a lot mm-hmm. and I would just go and sit around and waited for, in New York City, to give you a little bit of background, you dance two different kinds of salsa, salsa in one and salsa in two. And um, and it could get really testy, right? Like the people that believe in one style are very particular and vice versa so I would sit around and wait for this 60 year old gentleman to show up (laughs) and for the first time you didn't feel like this person was trying to pick you up or was trying to do something silly they just would show up and we would know each other and we would just give each other a hug and said nothing and immediately started dancing and we'll dance five or six pieces in a row until we were, one of us was too tired to get going. Mm-hmm. And those stories to me are some of the, uh, some of the, the most uh, joyful uh, memories I have. Mm, I love that so much. I met my husband in a little town um, in Southern Oregon with one salsa bar in it. It was called Taboo. And he, and I used to salsa dance together two or three, two or three nights a week at, as oh, college God. students. And it was the thing probably I would say that swept me up, literally swept me off my feet. And um, it was, I felt like there are moments in dance in salsa in particular for me, where it feels like I'm flying. Do you ever oh, experience that? It's the most amazing feeling in right? the world. <laughs> yeah. 
It's so incredible. So, and I know like for the past few years, it's been tough because we, yeah. it almost feels like that has been taken away from us in, in the sense that social ga gathering in that way isn't so safe, right? Um, and so as we come back to our sense of community and things open up again, I wonder, is there some lesson in that? Is there a way we can mm -hmm. move forward um, and come back together in community and heal? In, in this new Yeah, world. you know, one of the things that I mentioned in the book, uh, in that same chapter about communities, this concept of Ubuntu, mm. um, which is a little bit more um, complex than just the lightness of going out and enjoying dancing. Um, but it reminded, what you just asked me, reminded me that there is always going to be an opportunity and a need to come together in community and heal, right? Find a way to come back into community. And while we are still trying to get through, you know, pandemics and issues of, you know, whatever is happening around the world, wars and all kinds of other things, um, we will still have the ability to come back to our humanity, recognize that humanity in others, and find a way to heal at a communal level. Yeah. I talk about the concept of Ubuntu, which we can talk about a little bit more in detail. It's, it's a little bit more complex, but it to me is, is the one concept beyond music <laughs> that uh, I wanted the world to know about. Um, just like similar to the concept of namaste after after you go to a yoga class and that that word is very common today we know it relatively well but the concept of ubuntu which is relatively similar we don't as much and i think just like it helped the south african immediately after apartheid moved into a reconciliation process mm. with a little bit less pain if you will uh, because pain will always be there, right? Hurt will always be there. And we always need to heal from that. Uh, but how do we re reconcile from years of fill in the blank, hurt, trauma, you know, harm, and recognize our humanity in each other so that we can live the best life we could? Hmm. Yeah. So is Ubuntu something that you say or is it this uh, sense and feeling? Is it both? It's all of that and the practice. So it's okay. a day-to-day -day practice. I think in the book I mentioned uh, nine attributes. Uh -huh. uh, so, and we're talking about things that are very common sense for most mm -hmm. of us, right? Kindness, compassion, um, again, like seeing yourself in others. And, and I, I ask people to ask certain questions and you can just take one of these particular attributes and practice it every day. Right? Okay. You can decide today, I'm going to practice, practice compassion. Mm -hmm. And then how do I practice compassion? Right? <laughs> it's easier said than done. And you ask yourself, you know, how can I listen without necessarily trying to solve somebody else's problem, but just listening and, and being attentive? Uh, can I truly offer more of myself to help somebody heal or do I need to you know, open myself up to the acceptance of new words or new, you know, character, you know, let's call it like criticism for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, and so far, so forth. Uh, Ubuntu is, it can be applied to almost everything in your life, mm -hmm. right? The way you raise your children, the way you go about relationships at work, um, conflicts with your neighbor, um, people that you want to become closer to in, within your family or your partnership. It's a really beautiful um, philosophy mm -hmm. that once we start learning about it, it's, it's almost like a prayer that you carry with you every single day. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. um, so there's so many different cultural pieces that you draw from so many different histories um, as it applies to wellness practices. I mean, we've already discussed a few. I'm wondering as you're researching this book, if any of those surprised you. Uh, yes, uh, I, you know, the book explores the, the multicultural 
roots of a lot of these very popular wellness practices because one of the struggles I had as a coach was getting people that sounded and looked like me to embrace some of these practices. Mm. And so I realized that it's people will think that they are far removed from them. Mm-hmm. And then I started to understand, okay, if I can get you excited about learning about the history of these practices, and once you learn about them, you learn to love them, and you realize that they're part of you, they're part of your ancestry, they come from, from people that passed it on from generation to generation, and somehow we at the beginning of the 20th century, most likely kind of like put them aside and realize or forgot about all of them. Mm -hmm. So I wanted people to be excited about them. And so I I started researching and I was like, I'm going to find the ones that are very multicultural in nature. Assuming that I was going to have a hard time finding more than just two or three. And then I realized that quite a lot, almost all of them, stem from communities from all over the world. The ones that are that always come to mind are is the use of essential oils. Mm. Because we think that it comes from this, this fancy little company somewhere in the United States that sell these tiny little amber color bottles mm-hmm. and, and they tend to be expensive in some cases and nothing could be farther from the truth, right? The people in Northern Africa have been using these tiny bottles of oil infused, like deeply infused in the Middle East. Like even when, when the three kings went to visit baby Jesus, they brought in essential oils. Mm-hmm. So we know that they They've been around for thousands of years. If you go farther east, you'll find even more of these practices. So I was really excited about it and, and started and as in my practice as an herbalist, I also teach people how to make them, right? You don't need to, it doesn't have to be another line in your budget. <laughs> if the budget doesn't allow, you can actually find some base oils and, and buy some you know, herbs, really, really basic herbs from the supermarket and create your own little essential oils that then you can use and enjoy. Ah, that's so cool. Well, and that uh, brings to mind another chapter section where you really focus on water, oil, and heat, I believe, those three things. Tell me more about this practice. of. So the reason why the, the chapter groups all three together is because throughout history, most of them have been used together. Mm-hmm. And water and heat, especially so, and I'm talking about the use of uh, saunas, steam rooms, you know, natural baths, that, that are ubiquitous in any corner and every corner of the world. So regardless of what you look like and where your family comes from, chances are your ancestors have used this. And so I decided to go around the world and, and, and mention some of the ones that uh, are very popular in the Western world today. And in most of them, you'll realize that people embrace them in combination with the oils because once you have a lot of heat and a lot of water, like your pores expand and then your body can absorb different kinds of medicinal oils. So it's sort of a win-win. And to me is one of the easiest chapters to implement Mm -hmm. because it's relatively inexpensive, right? Anybody can take a bath at home Mm -hmm. and you could just buy a bottle of oil or some scented candles or some, you know, other form of herb infused substance and use it. And it might last you three, four months, and then you can enjoy it for that long. Yeah, I love that's one of my favorite self care practices. And taking a bath, essential oils, even just, um, you know, something really simple, like um, a jar of coconut oil, which is Mm -hmm. solid at room temperature, I'll take a scoop of that and put it in the bath. And then my skin is just so nourished, because you're right, your pores are open. So you do get to um, absorb more of the medicinal properties in in that combination. I've never really thought about it like that, but so so that's really cool. I love that. Um, so I, I I'm kind of thinking about this as it relates to like my personal life, and I know I'm not alone in this in terms of um our modern way of being on the go all the time and over scheduling ourselves and just feeling like time is this slippery thing that we often let get away with 
time gets away from me, I guess. <laughs> How do I want to say this question? Um, I guess, I guess the question is, okay. So there was a period of time during COVID where personally I felt like I got to relax a little bit. Things were shut down. I didn't have as much pressure on my shoulders and I was really fortunate and lucky that I was able to enjoy that time, right? First time in my adult life where I felt like, this is kind of an extended vacation. <laughs> and so I kind of started to enjoy that a little bit. And then the world has opened up and now it feels like it almost feels like times a hundred, the pace of life has increased. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how do we find that balance? Because mm. practices like taking a bath and making time for dance and, and healing practices, it does require time out of your day mm -hmm. and to be intentional with that. Do That's you have any thoughts on how, how do we make yeah. that a regular part of our lives? Yeah. You know, I absolutely agree with you. You, we all have very busy lives, right? And even those that didn't, you know, for whatever reason found themselves with a lot more time at the beginning of the pandemic, for example, um, you know, after two or three weeks, you know, and you, assuming that you went back to some sort of a normal routine, now all of a sudden you realize that the time that you thought you had is no longer there. Yeah. And I always, every time I write um, something, whether it is a blog post or, or a book or whatever it is, I think I put myself in the shoes of a single mother of two with a full-time job, right? If I was that woman, how do I find time for myself? And we all know what everybody, every expert will tell you, you know, you kind of have to put your mask on first and, you know, then yeah. you have to take care of, you know, that's easier said than done, right? Yeah. Like don't, don't patronize a, you know, a professional that happens to be a single mother uh, because she's, she has clarity. What she needs to have is a plan. And so the book includes a very easy to follow plan. I do believe that you need to uh, prioritize planning and, and making sure that you have clarity about what you want. Mm -hmm. While the book has six or seven categories of wellness practices and within each category, you, you, I mentioned a handful, it's impossible to expect that you are going to embrace them all at once. You could if you're one of those people, but that's not most of us. So I always embrace, uh, you know, encourage people on Saturday or Sunday, let's find an hour, mm -hmm. right? An hour of time when you can sit down and wander around, either sit down or wander around the house and find two things. The time, when do you have 15 minutes every day? Right. Like now that you have a little bit more time to think about that, when do you have these 15 minutes to take care of yourself? And the second thing is, where is that space? Right. Where, where in the home is it? Let's assume that you are a mother, a single mother of two living in a two bedroom apartment. Chances are you don't have any personal space, but the bathroom will be, you know, off limits or potentially empty from 530 to 6 a.m. That may mean that you have to wake up an extra half an hour early before everybody else, before the homes wakes up. But if you don't have clarity about that on Saturday, it will be a little bit easier for you to plan that and then put it together, like put it in writing. I, I always like to sit down and say on Monday, this is what I'm going to do. If Monday is too hard to wake up at 530, do not worry about it. There's always Tuesday. <laughs> sit and, talk and plan it and say on Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to wake up at 5.30 in the morning mm -hmm. and that half an hour is going to be mine mm -hmm. to play some music, to have a nice cry, to, you know, read a book, to have a bath, mm -hmm. to do nothing at all, just to check, you know, IG or whatever it is that I want to check in and have a time that is just mine. Mm -hmm. And because on average, it takes us 21 to 28 days to make that habit, to form that habit and to make it long lasting. I ask people to then every single week for the next four weeks to make that plan. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that. It's, you know, I have a similar practice of um, meal prepping and meal planning mm -hmm. on Sundays, but I've never thought about planning my self-care out. Um, and that sounds lovely. To me, there's nothing more nourishing than taking an hour or so out of my day than to just kind of like not have a plan and let myself mm -hmm. kind of 
dream a little bit about what an ideal life would look like and how I can practically insert some of that into my daily routine. So I I think that's such a great idea. Um, I kind of want to switch topics now because um, as I mentioned my dad at the beginning, I wanted to note that he is, uh, he happens to be the president of a nonprofit company called Cannabis Patients Pacific Northwest. Mm. And I think this is something cannabis, I think in general is something that you are well versed in and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but passionate about and you're speaking about herbalism and and stuff. And I think cannabis kind of falls in that category. So um, and, and the book touches on it too. Right? So would you speak to I guess it's kind of a broad topic. I mean, in some states, like in the state that I'm currently in, cannabis is legal. It's a legal substance. Federal, it's still um, a a criminal substance. So there's so many different directions we could go with that, but I'll just drop it and let you pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) And then we can run with it after that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Where I live is also legal. um, And, you know, I was one of those people when I first... uh, when I was a teenager, I remember my parents being, I come from a very um, conservative household where parents were very concerned about, you know, whether we would go into the right path or the wrong path and drugs of any kind. And and of course, cannabis was considered one of those drugs Mm -hmm. were not acceptable, right? Not allowed. I didn't even drink coffee growing up. And so I was one of those people that was like, oh, you know, the people that drink, that smoke a lot of weed are like alcoholics, right? They're just wasting their time. I was one of those. I will be the first one to admit that I had a lot of misconceptions about the substance Mm -hmm. and about its history and its benefits. Mm -hmm. Many years later, learning about cannabis, not only for recreational use, but as a botanist and and an herbalist, the world opened up and I realized how incredible this botanical is, mm. not just for, and now we, we know like this is, this is heavily documented uh, with studies done all over the world. Unfortunately, the United States, we don't do that many studies on cannabis because it's federal. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's illegal at a federal level. So getting funding for that is very hard. Um, but the, ability the botanical has to affect our bodies on a positive level is it's on par is that the phrase on the word <laughs> you know there is there are very few things out there um, other than cannabis that can affect us the way that cannabis affect us and can benefit benefit us the way it does mm-hmm. and so to give you a little bit more of a background, when we just like when you take an apple, you eat an apple, your body has neuroreceptors and, and different enzymes and different systems that interact with the vitamin A and vitamin C and the phytochemicals and other nutrients of that apple. So it's not just the, the, the juices and the, the nutrients of the apple, but the right ratio of those nutrients that is the reason why that apple is so good for you. Mm-hmm. The same way cannabis has an effect in our body. So we have these neuroreceptors that actually take that substance and does really amazing things for us to reduce pain, to help us handle anxiety, to help us heal potentially preventatively, help us with, I think I read a study, this was probably two years ago, that showed cannabis can, people that smoke a lot of cannabis can actually have a lesser chance of Uh, stroke and neurological conditions later in life. Mm -hmm. So we will continue to learn. This is one of those botanicals that we know about enough, but we still have a lot to learn about. Mm -hmm. What I know so far makes it a really powerful botanical in my book. Yeah, I would agree. So we, um, my grandmother, my paternal, sorry, my maternal grandmother passed away two years ago. Um, She eventually developed Alzheimer's and dementia. And she was on a whole slew of pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. so many different drugs. And they were causing all these adverse um, effects as you know, these pharmaceuticals do you you could, you could read the book of all of these things that it could cause, right? So my dad um, was advocating to get her off of those. And he was slowly 
giving her um, micro dosing of, I think he was starting with CBD. Um, there's so many different strains of cannabis and I am not a doctor and I'm not an expert on this, but I do know from working with my dad in this way that 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 was one way that he was able to wean her off of pharmaceuticals and lessen her symptoms, lessen her anxiety, lessen her um, blood pressure and um, just like her, her end of life care became much more of that. It became more quality. Hmm. Um, and, she I was, think that the, and I'm so sorry to interrupt you. This no, is part it. of the reason why it's so heartbreaking, right? Like we are, um, people are, are struggling and suffering needlessly. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a couple of cases of young people with severe, um, uh, neurological issues, whether it is like, um, you know, what's the word that I'm looking for when people, seizures. Um, I personally know people that are cancer survivors that couldn't have gone through chemo without uh, their little cannabis gummies. I have friends who have autistic children and it is cannabis what helps them sleep and helps them, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like balance the the seizures when they actually struggle with them. So there's a lot out there that we could benefit from and it's such a shame that so so many of us are struggling simply because we're still you know the the powers that be are still too hung up on these theories from like 40 or 50 years ago yeah i agree with you there's a lot of really good articles out there i can link to that in this um podcast in the show notes that um, the cannabis patient specific Northwest puts out on studies that you're referring to. So definitely make sure that we have those as resources in the show notes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, yoga instructors and in particular right now, because I am also a yoga instructor Mm -hmm. and I, uh, no surprise, I happen to be white and, you know, middle-class. And I want to talk about decolonizing the mind and um kind of like this this shift towards inclusivity which is so long overdue and how do we do that as teachers and how do we do that as a community and what do you have to say on this topic look i think that the concept of decolonizing let me first of all um sort of define what what i mean by decolonizing the mind it's essentially the idea or the or the conscious action of going into spaces that have traditionally been seen as spaces where only a certain type of people go to, right? Either you're white or you're wealthy or you have resources and where traditionally people of color have felt like they don't belong or they don't feel comfortable. And it comes from this idea that in in also in other ways that we have to be perfect, that we have to get to a certain goal before we are worthy of something. Mm-hmm. That comes from a history of colonization, a history of systemic policies and laws that were designed to keep certain people from advancing and others given give the, the upper hand. And uh, But it translates down to almost every aspect of life. And today, I believe that not just people of color, but all of us, struggle with this idea of color of, of a mind that is colonized right yeah. we feel i see it all the time with clients that tell me i'm not thin enough mm-hmm. when i lose those 20 pounds then i will be ready right i will be perfect to then embrace certain practices or then go out there and find love or whatever it is so you can you can extrapolate that to almost every aspect of life in the case of yoga this particular instructor that i interviewed for the book who happens to be of of Indian descent said, you know, I used to be one of those people, even though I was brown myself, I didn't want my white friends to know about that I practiced this when I was young. And then eventually when I became an adult and I realized that it was the in thing to do, I was like, oh, do I really want to practice the way I learned how to practice, right? In my culture. And then she realized if I'm going to, open up my space and my mind to allow other people of color to embrace it and other people in general to embrace these practices, then I need to decolonize my mind. I need to start telling my students, it's okay if you're perfect. It's okay if you, if we create a space that is ours, Mm -hmm. 
That sounds exactly the way we want it to sound. That looks like the way we want it to look. That is exactly what we need in the moment without concern about it being too perfect or too whatever it is that all those people did in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah, thank you for saying that. It's something that's on my mind because I show up to class and I feel like, how do I start to be, how do I allow that? How do I create that space and how do I um, help foster that inclusivity as a person who comes from a, a place of privilege? Do I still show up and teach? Is it time for me to take a seat? It's always kind of in my mind, like, is this appropriate still? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> thought process, right? It's, it's an understanding that you don't know enough, mm-hmm. but you want to be inclusive, right? Yeah. And the, the reality of the matter is that the person coming that looks different than you is in the same boat. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but I want to learn, right? And communicating yeah. is, is the first step. But also, you know, there's a lot of practical things that we can do, not only emotional. Once we are uh, powerful enough and strong enough at an emotional level, then we find little little tools, right? May I go to the inner city and offer a class there? May I actually share some flyers and tell people, you know, Tuesdays, my class will be $10 Mm -hmm. or, or free or whatever it is. Come and join us and learn a little bit about this time you know, tested practice that is amazing and that comes from your people, not just from ours. Mm. And then, you know, take it from there. There's, there's a ton that we can do, but but your thought process is a beautiful one and is, is an important one. Without it, there's no way that you can move forward with, with mm. next steps. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. I appreciate that. So, uh, so I'm curious about a couple of things. One is um, if you personally have any daily rituals, whether it be like a morning routine or an evening routine or practices that you implement throughout your day that helps mm-hmm. you stay on track with your personal wellness practice. Yes, I have a lot. <laughs> so it depends on the time of the year. You know, I, this is my line of work. So uh, luckily I get to be reminded of some of these practices when I share them with clients. Um, depending on the time of the year, so I can tell you, um, I'll mention what's happening right now, which is around springtime, right? And it will vary from, from season to season. But it's springtime, so it's time for sort of, sort of shedding, but also new beginnings. So I always start my day with um, some dry brushing mm-hmm. um, and, a, and an herbal tea. And I tend to make my own teas. My partner and I love making teas. We, we always use ginger as a base for whatever reason. We just keep circling back to ginger. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm using ginger, dry peach, and uh, uh, and red raspberries because I've always had issues with my hormonal kind of world. Uh-huh. And so this tea that I'm drinking right now is that, and I drink three or four cups of that. I also have two or three cups of dandelion tea because it's also very cleansing for the liver, very, very tonic-like. And um, I eat a plant-based diet. My diet is 100% plant-based. So that's a little bit easier because, you know, there's no like, I'm just going to add more vegetables. Like, no, all I eat is vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of the night, after I do my workouts, I always end up in, in a mini sauna. So I have a little mini sauna that uh that is like it's like my life gift to myself because i love heat (laughs) and water and oil so i lather myself with oil i go in there four days a week and then sit there for like 15 minutes and while i do that i i'll either do a little meditation or listen to a podcast or an audiobook or and i do that four or five times a week so i'm not perfect i don't do it i'm not super militant you know, sometimes it gets tedious and, and too much. You know, the days sometimes are very long. So I aim to do it anywhere between four and five days a week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that doesn't. Mm, beautiful practices. <laughs> I feel so inspired. First of all, I want to go eat an apple right now. My mouth is watering. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to go sit in a sauna. <laughs> that yep. sounds great. Um, so you mentioned diet and plant-based diet, and I want to ask a particular question about, um, the 
what would I call it? Pandemic, epidemic, I'm not sure what the correct word is, but of obesity in the United States. Mm. And in particular, how can we how can we start to talk about this issue without fat shaming? How do mm. we address it without without the shame and the you know, because there's we never know like what is going on yeah. in somebody's body yeah. that is making them this way. Maybe it's healthy for them, maybe yeah. it's not. So can you talk to me about that? A yeah. Bit? yeah, you know, the issues of body image and fat shaming are, let's just put it out there, right? Like we don't talk about other people's appearances, mm-hmm. right? If somebody was missing an arm, you wouldn't go there and be, or post and be like, what happened to your arm? Like, why are you missing an arm? And what, blah, blah, blah. You know, even the, the fittest of people that are constantly posting on social media have some sort of body, um, you know, like concept that they don't want to touch, right? So we try, it's not necessarily about people's appearances. It is about the ability for a body to carry you Mm. in health and strength and flexibility into your 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We tend to take for granted when we're in our 20s and our 30s that this amazing thing we call a body is a machine similar to a car, mm-hmm. right? When you, if you happen to tomorrow buy a Tesla or a Maserati or some sort of ridiculously fancy and expensive car, you would never put cheap oil in that car, right? Like, you know, I, I need to be able to take good care of my car and vacuum it every day or every week or whatever people do with cars. I'm not a big car person. <laughs> <laughs> But I love using that analogy because we tend to take care of all the things that are important to us, right? If we buy a fancy leather um, bag that is designer and it costs us $3,000, we will be super careful how we treat that. When we buy a new pair of shoes, we're just super careful not to damage it. This machine we call a body is like that five-star hotel, like that amazing Maserati vehicle that is meant to carry you for the rest of your life and it's the only one you have, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, it makes absolute sense that I want to do something today that is going to help me 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. Do you have fun with your, you know, life is short and there will always be the 4th of July. There will always be Thanksgiving. But as I tell clients all the time, Thanksgiving is done every week. Mm-hmm. Right. So learning a little bit about what works for you is critical. One of the very first things that I tell clients when I'm um, when they come to me and most people come to me want to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them to do a, a journal to journal their their food intake for a, a day up to three days and then understand the, the communication that is happening internally. Right. Our bodies are constantly talking to us. What is your body telling you? If you, once you eat, are you gassy? Are you constipated? Are you, do you have a foul breath? Do you feel hungry 20 minutes after you eat? Do you feel excessively full? Do you feel sad or, or angry at yourself for the choices you've made immediately after you've made them? And once you have clarity about that big picture and that internal conversation, then it's easier to make a plan that is just uniquely yours. Mm. Oh, what a beautiful practice. I love that. Do you, would you, have you always been plant-based? Is this something that you've been practicing Mm -hmm. for a while? Yes, I've been plant-based for a few years. Um, Uh I grew up in Puerto Rico eating pork chops (laughs) and and my grandmother's chicken with rice was ridiculous. Mm. I no longer, I actually became very, very ill. So I originally, I grew up in Puerto Rico and then I moved to New York when I was in my early twenties to go to school. And uh, while I was there, again, similar to that story, I was eating anything but nutrients. I was eating Snickers bars and Wendy's, you know, fast meals and like cereal for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And so my body started to fall apart and looking for an alternative because my conditions were not curable by Western medicine standards. Mm -hmm. um, I decided that I needed to find another way. And that's when I discovered herbalism and and a plant-based diet among other things. 
and started changing my diet and then discovered the world of plant-based dating. And uh, I've been a big fan ever since. Mm. Do you have favorite go-to meals or cookbooks that you draw from? <laughs> uh, favorite meals. Hmm. So my favorite food on the planet these days is mushrooms. Anything with mushrooms is going to, you know, catch my attention. Uh -huh. Love, love, love them. Uh, not only because they're incredibly powerful medicinally, mm -hmm. but also because they're really tasty. They're really yummy. And while I have been plant-based for almost a decade at this point, I still miss the taste of and the, the texture of meat. Mm -hmm. I will be the first one to admit it. Mm -hmm. um, so so it, uh, mushrooms have that ability to satisfy that chewiness that meat and chicken and other flesh um, provides. Uh, so anything with mushroom is, is beautiful. Uh, and then the books, I love a handful of them. I will tell you one of my favorites is um, there's a, a chef called Janae Claiborne mm. and she has a book. I think the book is now three or four years old and I think she's about to come up with another one. Mm -hmm. And the original book is called um, Sweet Potato Soul. Ooh, I love sweet potatoes. <laughs> and the, the recipes are really yummy. Using ingredients that you will love. I love chickpeas. I love um, pasta. And so she includes a lot of those. They're very, very healthy, low in oil, low, low in sodium, mm -hmm. but very full in flavors. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, I'll check that out. Thank you. <laughs> also make sure we link that to the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to ask you, Again, about the book, we before we started recording, I asked you if there was anything in it that you would like to read from, any favorite passages, and you mentioned a beautiful quote. I wonder if you want to share that or anything else from the book. That's um, Yeah, this is in the, we were talking about it before the, the recording, whether or not this was the epilogue or the dedication or whatever it is that you call it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it is a, a quote by Maria Sabina. Maria Sabina is probably one of the most famous curanderas or, or healers from Mexico. And she became really famous as the first person to allow Westerners to come and see her uh, plant medicine healing practice. So she used uh, certainly psilocybin and other uh other, you know, North Mexican and Northern uh, uh, Native American kind of substances, but she became famous because of her psilocybin practice. Okay. For those of you who don't know what psilocybin is, it's essentially magic mushrooms, mm -hmm. uh, which I am also a big fan of, but mm -hmm. I, I digress. Anyway, the book, the quote says, heal yourself with beautiful love. Always remember you are the medicine. Hmm, that's so gorgeous. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Would you mind reading it one more time? Yeah, sure. Put my glasses back on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's totally fine. Um, it says, heal yourself with beautiful love. Always remember, you are the medicine. Hmm. Oh. And isn't it just so powerful, right? Like we, if you go pretty much anywhere around the world, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, uh, traditional African healing practices, the, the Druids uh, and, the, and the, the, the healers and the, the, that were called witches back in the British Isles many, many years ago, they all, the, the, the healers and the shamans in South and Central America, they all tell you, you are the medicine. You have the ability to heal yourself. Certainly before our bodies get to a point where they are broken beyond, you know, beyond return. And then we will need Eastern Western medicine to help us actually can sort of like push us back into some sort of balance. Mm -hmm. Before we get to that point, we have the ability to restore balance in our bodies and, um, and potentially heal. Hmm. Jovanka, I love, I love this conversation. It's been so fun talking to you. I'm going to say the title of your book one more time, Reclaiming Wellness, Ancient Wisdom for Your Healthy, Happy, and Beautiful Life. And here I'm showing again the cover page. Gosh, the light's so harsh. But I'll make sure that we link this in the show notes because I highly recommend picking up your own copy, supporting Javanka, supporting your body 
I mean, if you needed any sort of uh, motivation, inspiration, I think this is the episode to start to really treat your body as a temple, as something that is sacred, as something that is a gift, and to honor that. Is there anything else you want to add before (laughs) we say goodbye? Uh, You know, I just want people to remember that whether or not we feel like this is ours to reclaim or not. The book is, it was essentially written to help you recognize that these practices uh, have been with you and they're part of your DNA. Uh, They have been passed on from generation to generation and it is not only your birthright, but it's almost your duty, right, to honor them and to allow them into your lives for your benefit, but also for the benefit of the generations that come after you. Yeah, I love that. Let's keep passing it on to future generations and future generations. So thank you so much for memorializing it. And and now here we can hold it in our hands. It's been such a blessing to spend time with you, Javanka. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I love your energy. I can't wait to meet your father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to introduce you to him. He's, I think and he'd be, you two would hit it off. <laughs> well, everyone, that concludes another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you learned something new, maybe remembered something old, maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life. My, (laughs) you can hear my dog in the background. She's doing a little happy dance. Um, So Daisy enjoyed it. Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media. Don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic, musical, genius, Drew Lovern, thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show, only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks, you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.